This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. All right, Kyle Wilkinson, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me back on, Jeff. So you are a co-host of uh, the Young Guys podcast, and uh, it's kind of the off-season now for uh, fishing a little bit here in Alaska. So what are you filling the hours with? Um, Right now, I am working at Heather's Choice. That's uh, kind of my... My winter gig, yeah. I work in the production kitchen there. I'm a I'm a lead. Um, I had that job. Uh, well, I started working there in October of 21, um, after the guide season, and I work there until kind of like the middle to end of May. Uh, honestly, depending on when the rivers thaw and yeah. uh, when runoff is over and yeah. when guide season can start. Um, <clears throat> when I um, first applied there. Uh, that was the first thing I talked to is like, Hey, I, I want to work here. I want to be a part of Heather's choice, but, um, I do want to go and guide in the guide season in the summertime. And they were totally cool with that. And nice. they've, um, they've kept up with that and have allowed me to continue to do that every year. So came back this last, um, October and I'll work until May and then, um, then be done. So nice. Yeah. Working for a business that, uh, accommodates lifestyle uh it's got to be huge it's amazing to to see what some people have to endure when it comes to what their job is because they're just not at all flexible there's um one of the kids who was helping build the house this summer uh, had another job and the guy threatened to never hire him again if uh he came back to work on the house they took a little break on the house while the subcontractors were in there and so he had been working from april until the end of may building my house with my builder and then took the summer off to to work for this company and then it was time once the subcontractors were out my my builder needed him back again but couldn't get him because the guy threatened to never hire him again it's like man that's all right i he he took a break from building the house to work here and then you're just not going to be accommodating so that's that's too bad but uh yeah heather's choice seems like a great company a great product and that's that's actually not very surprising knowing knowing that yeah for sure. Yeah, they it's that company culture there is really awesome. Yeah. So filling those hours, uh, you don't have the same recreation opportunities. Are you like me in that uh it's it's gear season and it's look at uh fly fishing film season? Yeah, for sure. Definitely like going over gear, gear lists, what worked last year, what didn't work last year, um, and then yeah, watching hunting and fishing films and getting super stoked for the the upcoming season. Yeah. What's some of the, I don't know. I was, I, I watch a lot of hunting films to kind of close out the year. Cause everybody has their, a lot of times there's like a, a, at least six month delay, if not a year delay of the, the previous season. So you watch a whole bunch of those and then you kind of get into the fly fishing stuff and there's such a difference in the films. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a, 
preference? I know, or is there like a certain mood? Sometimes I want like a, a gritty hunt type, not like Brian Call gritty, but just a, you know, a rugged hunt type film. And other times a fly fishing film more suits the, the mood or uh, what's kind of the difference between a fly fishing film and a, and a hunting film for you? Um, you know, I was thinking about that as a lot of times when I'm like, I'm working out, I'm looking up these films or I'm doing stuff around the house, tying flies or whatever. And when, I, when I'm looking for a hunting film, I kind of like those style of videos that are like, um, uh, Billy Moles, like the, the, um, modern day mountain man, or, or I think that's what his, what his uh, channel is called. But, um, he, his videos are very, like very authentic. He's not like, he doesn't have a film crew. It's just him. And a lot of time it's him guiding clients um and they're they're well edited but they're not like like super overly polished right and he's not promoting a brand or a company or um he's just telling the story how it happens and that's the kind of hunting films i really like mm-hmm. uh, yeah when it, it comes <laughs> it's funny I, i'd never heard of this guy it's there's so much content out there on youtube it's impossible to have a pulse on all of it and so i had just went to the youtube channel now i'm just kind of checking it out I'm like man how did this how did the algorithm not feed me this? Yeah, yeah, it's his videos are are super cool. Um, I would definitely recommend checking those out. Um, but when it comes to fly fishing, um, I don't know, it's it is different. I kind of want those videos that are more like like upbeat. Like you look at, let's say, like the IF International Fly Fishing <laughs> Film Festival or um, the f3t fly fishing film tour mm-hmm. and like those their stoke reels they make every year where it's just like super upbeat music and it's these people casting like super far and like catching these big toothy fish all around the world like that's what really gets me stoked mm-hmm. so i i gotta get that stoke for that fly fishing versus the hunting is more kind of like that unpolished kind of like laid back just telling the story as it is yeah there's kind of a I go back and forth. Some of those years, the those fly fishing films on the on the tour, they're kind of depressing because they're all about how there's no steelhead left here, or there's no you know the the tarpon are, are vanishing here, or there's I mean it's just it could be really really sad. So you get some awesome clips and you're excited for the first five ten minutes of it, and then it's like it becomes this really dark view of the future, and it's something that we have to we have to be aware of. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's very important in hunting too, but just that involvement, it seems like there's a different angle with that. Whereas a lot of the hunting films end with, you know, the antlers, the trophy, the excitement, and you can film that in a different way. Um, a lot of the, the storytelling and some of the fly fishing stuff is, is really good, really insightful and, and pretty fun to watch. Like, so I have some, some memories of some old films that were also on DVD. I don't, I can't remember who, who did them, but, uh, it, gosh, who were those guys? The Trout Bum Diaries. That's who it was. They did, uh, yeah. a steelhead one in Canada. I just thought about how many hours it would take to film because you're not going to catch, you're not, you're not going to hook, catch a fish on every cast. And so how much, exactly. how many empty casts do you have there? Whereas in a hunt, as soon as you know, it's going to go down, you just click record and you're good to go. You know, it's not, uh you're not shooting a caribou on the fifth 500th shot or something like that. So it's it's really different there. But, uh, those fly fishing, uh, films about steelhead just take on a whole different feeling. Um, is there a specific species that you really enjoy, uh, watching films about? Oh, I definitely the, um, 
well there's there's two types one types one, one type is uh, films about places that i've been to or that i know um so i, I like to kind of scour youtube and other platforms and look for videos like in south central alaska that way i can like watch a video i'm like oh i've been there i i noticed i know where that cliff is i noticed that landmark mm -hmm. that's cool that person has been there too there's been some um i've actually watched and i can see my truck like they're driving to the parking lot oh that's, there's my truck in the parking lot that was super recent um and then i like the other ones that are like destination trips so watching you know people catch gts mm. uh people catching tarpon um one of the my first ever like fly fishing bucket list trip and i watched jeremy wade on river monsters catch um a tarpon in like a really tiny creek in like a little like um i think he was in just like a little float tube right kicking around and that was like those are the kind of things that i like to watch are those destination trips catching species that are hard to get to um and that are just just aren't your everyday thing to catch yeah. Whenever I see a film that happens to be about steelhead in Southeast Alaska, that tends to be what it is. If you're down here fishing for king salmon out in the ocean, it's, you know, tons of fish kind of all over the place out in the water. It's impossible to know exactly where they're going to be because some days you're out fishing this rock and then the next day they're not there because you're out in the ocean. It's the, the variables are, are changed drastically. Uh, but when it comes mm -hmm. to steelhead, yeah, I, I, I'm always hopeful that they're not on a river that I recognize just because it's such a... You know, all, all it's one. Everything is one video or one article away from being from being ruined. Uh, some of the yeah. stuff is pretty rugged, but um, you know, you can't begrudge someone making that happen because I would like to. I'd be that exact person somewhere else. You know, I, I can't say, oh, I hate tourists coming up here and ruin the steelhead, or you know, my river is is taken up by a whole bunch of people. When I want to be that exact person catching GTs or tarpon or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. No, I I totally agree, and and there is a there is a kind of my thoughts are like it yes it does kind of it sucks sometimes to see that like oh maybe that is my secret spot um or maybe it's some place that isn't as well known and that it is kind of a bummer to see those people there but um i think a big thing as long as you're not like hot spotting that right mm -hmm. you're not saying exactly where you're at that is gonna keep some people out of there and i was um we actually just recently talked to somebody on um on our podcast um fly fish dan he has a YouTube channel. He's based out of Washington. And um, we he was kind of talking about hotspotting. We were asking him kind of what he does um, to limit that. And he was like, as long as you're not again saying the name of where you're at and you're careful about having certain landmarks in the background, um, if it's just a hill with a field in the background, the only people that are really going to know where that's at are the people that have been there. Mm -hmm. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. 
Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That is mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. A lot of locals will get upset about, you know, why are you on this river? Like, I didn't say where this river was. Or I didn't say anything about, you know, you just recognize it because of where you're at, but no one else at home is going to be like, oh, sweet, you know, I'm just going to look at that spruce, and that spruce tells me it's right here. I mean, it's a forest, and it's a river. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, some of those line, line marks can be a little bit more, I guess, open the door of access to more local-type people or people who are kind of around, and maybe if they're in the Ketchikan area, the Sitka area, they kind of know what that mountain is, and so they can figure some things out. But, uh, yeah, I think... Um, that ethic applies for a lot of people. And I think they're really good about making the trip of a lifetime happen. Uh, but knowing that they're, they're hunting or fishing in someone else's backyard and kind of taking that, dialing it down a little bit and just kind of appreciating the experience and appreciating the opportunity rather than, you know, everybody can do this too. come to this place and, you know, do this DIY, or you go out with a guide, you learn all the stuff, and then you undermine everything by providing them every single small little detail about doing it yourself, because you learn this from the guide. So I think it's that ethic is, is, is cool to see in, in some of those films. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what's your feeling on slams? I was just watching a, a film earlier today about, um, slams and uh they were up in alaska and of course he had some some of the cheesy alaskan shots but uh they wanted to catch seven uh seven species of fish while while they're up there have you gotten caught up in in slams or or anything like that not that i can i can think of um yeah i guess i've never really pursued it really the only one that i've ever really been interested in is a cutthroat slam they have um, down in the lower 48. Mm-hmm. I can't I, I can't remember if it spans several states in the western part of the country or if it's like in one state, but I know that in areas that have close geographical um, like populations of different cutthroat trout, I think that'd be really cool uh, to do. But you know, other than that, I haven't really been been interested in in pursuing any slams now. Yeah, I did a a slam in the Sierra Nevada of. Uh, California, you get a brook trout, rainbow, um, brown, and uh, golden all in the same day. And it was kind nice. of a cool little goal. And then once uh, yeah. once we got it, the, the hardest one actually was uh, was the brown trout because we we went to a spot that had goldens. And it, you talk about hush-hush, like a, a golden spot is a very, very – I get there are a couple of lakes where they stock them. But if you get mm-hmm. uh, a golden trout – in the Sierra Nevada on the fly, like you keep that stuff very, very close, uh, close to your waders there. So that was the first one we went after, got that. And then we had to drive to a different, uh, different river system to get the other ones, but you're done. And you think, Oh, that was awesome. And you think, Oh, no one cares. Really? It was just kind of more about the experience and getting about getting all those fish, uh, specifically the golden trout. So the only thing that really sticks out in my memory is just the, that golden trout and how cool that was. And you're just 
laying on this rock and you're just kind of barely looking over this rock to see where it might be feeding and then you're laying out this cast and half of the cast has to land on rock and just the last little bit of tippet gently on shore because during the summer those little little um, ponds and, and the little creeks are mostly dried up and so it's really delicate habitat and and just got to be a perfect cast and if you splash the water the thing's not gonna gonna bite so so cool and it's just for a you know eight inch fish you know but that yeah. it's so so awesome so when i think of my slam career i technically got those in a day but it really doesn't matter that, that the memory of that golden trout's the number one no 100 percent. that sounds that sounds pretty cool and i guess, i guess you know listening to that and thinking back to you is like, like there is one that interests me and that is the the 25 on the fly i don't know if you've heard of that mm-hmm. um, i think it's what it's called um i want to say it's kind of like a, a national thing especially in lower 48 um but the reds fly shop in washington i believe hosts it once a year um and it's trying to catch as many species as you can in like two days mm. um and there's some people that i that i know uh, other guides that i've worked with um that uh participate in that and then try to catch as many species on a fly rod as they can um in those two days and though and you're competing for like fly rods or other other certain prizes but it's like you know catching a perch a bass a rainbow trout a cutthroat trout carp um you know a random species like a catfish and just trying to catch them all because in places like central washington you can catch all those things in a day or sometimes just within an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, the good part of those slams, it becomes, um, it can become just the, the sheer fire way to miss the point, mm-hmm. but it's also provides a, a roadmap to cool opportunities and maybe something that you might not know about. And then you can say, okay, if, if I want a tarpon or I want this, these are some cool game fish that I might enjoy. These are, my, these are some experiences that might be really awesome. And so if you treat it like that, and I think a lot of people do, you just if just because you, you chase a, a slam of, of hunting or, or fishing doesn't mean that you've missed the point or that you're, you know, whatever. Um, but it is, it is nice to have that guide and have uh, these opportunities revealed to you and you know, figuring it out. It's a, it's a cool thing. Um, like catching a carp, right? You hear about people catching carp and like, ah, oh, you know, this carp's a trash fish from those nuclear looking ponds on a golf course. But if you get them out mm-hmm. in kind of a reservoir or something like that, you're like, oh, well, I'll, I'll catch a carp. This is a cool new experience. And, you know, you do and you think, ah, oh, I probably wouldn't want to chase this for the rest of my life, but I'm glad I had that opportunity. Glad I had that experience. It's a, a cool, challenging fish. Yeah. And I think it's the, like the, the challenging aspect of it too, right? Like you knew that probably finding that, um, or at least going into your slam, that going into going into it, that the golden might be one of the toughest. So that was the first thing you went for. I, I kind of like that, like prioritizing, all right, what is something that I know I can catch really easily, right? Like I could back home, I could go to the lake and I knew I could catch a sunfish or I could go catch a largemouth right in the pond. I knew I could go to the river and catch a trout, but it's those things are like, okay, I need to catch a tiger muskie. What do I like? That's going to be, that's going to be the hardest thing. So I'm going to go do that first so I can spend most of my time doing that. Or I need to go catch a carp and I'll go catch a carp first. Cause I knew that would be the hardest and pr- being able to prioritize that and know that, um, 
something's going to be tougher than the other one and going after that. And then, you know, having all those different techniques, um, expanding your knowledge on fishing, like the way you're going to fish for a tiger muskie, you know, throwing a big giant streamer at structure, you know, looking around weed beds is going to be different than, you know, going to the, to the river and fishing a stonefly nymph or indicator, trying to catch a, a trout. So mm -hmm. just having that knowledge, um, I found has helped me as I've moved from Washington to Alaska, you know, I maybe didn't fish for, let's say silvers back home in Washington as much on the fly rod, but I'm able to take some of those experiences and techniques, you know, throwing streamers for bass and bring those up here. And it's very similar to throwing streamers for salmon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was one of the things that I've, when I got into fly fishing, just how it's very, very different, but there are some universal principles, no matter where you're fishing, there are certain things to keep, uh, keep in mind, same thing with hunting. And so it's nice to have, once you have that, it's like a transferable skill. You have this foundational knowledge that can be applied in different, uh, different areas. Um, what would you consider your like home fish or like your, your number one fish? Uh, I would say that growing up spin casting for silvers, like that was just, you know, I'd, I'd have my number five blue fox and that was all I would use. My brother would use a MEPS, of course, because brothers can't get along. Uh, and I would just throw those all the time and catch silvers. And that was kind of the fish of me uh, growing up. And then once I started fly fishing, it became just the rainbow trout. And it didn't really matter where it was. I just wanted to catch rainbows and new water and uh, like the brown trout a lot too. But as far as my fish, it would be a silver and then uh, rainbow on the fly. Do you have like a fish that stands out as the kind of your, your home fish? Yeah. I mean, and similar, it, it's kind of changed for me growing up. Um, it was like smallmouth bass and I, I love to catch smallmouth on spinning gear um, in a lot of the, the lakes and reservoirs, um, you know, on the Columbia river and other places in central Washington. That was like, that's what I did. That's what I like to do. Um, but then as I started getting more into fly fishing, it was similar. It was the trout. Um, we had rainbows and cutthroat back home. Um, they were easy to access. That was when I started guiding back home. That was what I mainly guided for was rainbows. Um, and then coming up here to Alaska, it's the same thing. That's, that's our target species. I mean, uh, we do target silvers and uh, chums, pinks um kings we do target grayling sometimes but it always seems that everything kind of revolves around rainbows mm -hmm. do you do you wonder about if you specialize in one fish what you might be kind of neglecting because in the hunting realm it's kind of like that too like you could become an expert hunting black-tailed deer in southeast alaska the more you hunt that the better you are at hunting that but then you might be neglecting other opportunities I went up to uh, hunt the Hall Road and got a caribou with my bow, which was so much fun, so great. It was such a great experience. But one of my favorite things about hunting is the opener for a Sitka black-tailed deer. So being up on a mountain for that opener. So my my favorite memory of hunting is that alpine opener. So choosing caribou over that, obviously, I it was a great decision such an awesome experience but it is you know you can't do both at the same time you can't hunt for two things at the same time you can't hunt for two f or fish at the same time well i guess you kind of can um but do you uh are there certain opportunities that you think may have been or you have to make those happen at some point because you are worried that you might not ever get 
back to them. Like if you, the more that you fish Alaska, you love it, but the more time you're spending in Alaska, you're neglecting some other potential species somewhere else that you might have to say no to Alaska once so you can go catch something somewhere else. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think so. I think that, you know, focusing up here, granted coming up here now, it's only, I've only been here for almost, almost two years now. So I'm still trying to figure things out and it's still fairly new to me. Um, but I am looking at other places too, like, Hey, as much as I would love to be here, um, you know, sometimes fishing in the fall, right. Fishing fall rainbows, um, and silvers. There are other places that I'd like to go to, um, maybe between the guide season and going back to Heather's choice, like talking to, uh, Keaton and going down to places like, um, Pyramid Lake and catching mm. the and cutthroats. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think that that does limit it. And, you know, sometimes, um, not necessarily species, but um, technique, right? Like I'm so focused a lot of times on fly fishing that I do notice that I'm limiting myself, like say going down and fishing ship Creek and Anchorage, right? It's not glamorous. It's not, it's not like going flying in somewhere or even wading up um, some, you know, parks, highway streams, but it's, it's a different type of mm -hmm. fishing that I think that I limit myself by not going and doing that and having that experience. Cause that's more like, your camaraderie you might be you know plunking eggs for kings there and you can hear trains and cars and stuff going in the yeah. background but i think i'm that would be kind of a cool experience that i'm i'm losing myself from doing or even going down to seward i i want to go down to seward and snag snag uh um sockeyes next mm -hmm. this june i think that'd be super cool experience yeah there was a there was a terminal run on prince of wales island for cohos and it was fun to go up there and snag and then mm -hmm. the novelty kind of wore off a little bit I think it'd be really nice to just go back to regular fishing in the, in the rivers, you know, and, and go kind of the traditional method. When I was down in California, we thought about going to the, to Pyramid Lake, mm -hmm. but there's something about like having to fish on a ladder. It's, it's somewhat intriguing, but at the same time, I don't know, you look at those trout though and you think, gosh, that thing is awesome. It'd be so great to have that experience and catch that thing. But the lake looks pretty ugly. The, uh, mm -hmm. Standing on top of the ladders just seems like, eh, but I don't know. It's you can't stick your nose up at every uh, at, at everything because then you're going to miss out on something that could be really cool. But yeah, that one's that one's really big, and the Ship Creek one too. We mm -hmm. went and checked that out one day when uh, we were up there last June, and just muddy mud flat, kind of gross. And uh, we checked out uh, was it uh, Ink? Is there Anchor Creek or somewhere down in the Kenai Peninsula where they had a, a small run of, of, of Kings that was actually open and mm. it was just not glamorous whatsoever. No beauty at all, but yeah. you know, it's King salmon, maybe on a fly rod. Like, how do you, how do you say no to that? Exactly. Well, uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say about the whole, that whole thing. It's like, yeah, it's, it's something that might not be as glamorous, you know, or not something looking forward to or, uh, it's not just your cup of tea, but I, I just, I think that it's, I'm getting limiting myself by not doing those things. And if I don't like it, don't have to do it again. Like I, dip netting this year. I didn't think I'd like dip netting, but my wife really wanted to try it and we did it and we love it. So that's definitely something I'm going to go back and do. And if it hadn't been for her pushing me to do that, I probably would have mm -hmm. never tried it. Yeah. There's part of us, my wife and I went to Kenai Peninsula last year and it was just chaotic, but I kind of want to go back again. And there's, mm -hmm. 
it's just different. The, those massive rainbows, you know, and being uh, being able to float it maybe rather than kind of try to figure it out and fish it from shore. There's always that. You can't learn it all on one trip. You get some basic stuff. You you maybe have a little bit of success, but there's always a, the fish that, that, that you didn't get. You catch a nice 18-inch rainbow trout, and you're excited for that because that's a beautiful fish. You catch a nice 18-inch Dolly Varden, beautiful fish, amazing, but you know what is also out there, mm-hmm. and it makes you want to go back. Even though the crowds were insane, even though all these other things were going on, you kind of want to go back, and I think, man... Do I really want to spend time up there, spend all the money to go back up there and to fish for bigger rainbow trout, or do I want to stay down here and troll for king salmon, you know, that I'm going to eat, and that's that's fun. So my buddy's down here, like, why would you do that? Why would you go up there catch and release rainbows when you can catch kings down here? I think, ah, well, it's just that experience thing, man. It doesn't always make sense. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, and especially guiding, too, you know, it's like, there are, there are times where I think this kind of relates where I don't want to necessarily go out and fish um, after a trip, right? Or if on my days off because I've I've been doing that same thing. Um, but there is just something that's like, you know, you know what's out there and you know that there's something drawing you back because you've maybe, you know, a spot from guiding or you've seen some big fish or you know what opportunity is out there, but it, it can be kind of, kind of limiting because, you know, Maybe I'm, I'm burned out or maybe I don't want to spend the time to go back and do that after a day of work. Uh, but there's always, there's always something out there that's going to pull you back. Yeah. Do you get, I don't want to say frustrated, uh, but if a client's trying to catch fish and they're either not listening or they're not capable and it, does it just make you think, oh man, I'm coming back here because it's on right here if this person knew what they were doing or do you feel kind of bad because they can't, make it happen. And then maybe how does that, how does that impact how you treat the situation? If you know you have a novice caster and there's this spot that's just going to be filled with some really, really nice fish, do you kind of underplay it so the person doesn't feel inept because, oh man, the guide said there was like, you know, some massive fish here, but I just couldn't make it happen. I kept fouling up in the, in the weeds or whatever. Um, How does encountering a really, really good spot uh, impact you as a guide? So I approach that, um, in a few ways. One, um, if I, if I tell a client that, um, something like there's a spot coming up, that's going to be really good. Um, they'll work it up in their minds a lot of times where they will, um, mess up the cast, right? Like, all right, this is the spot. This is where we (laughs) caught a 24 inch rainbow yesterday and they'll work it up in their minds where they'll go to make a cast and they will tangle up. They will cast too early or too late, or they'll get snagged on a branch and they'll mess up the drift. So a lot of times I'll actually keep some of those places quiet. I won't even tell them. I'm like, all right, you're just the next, the next run's coming up and I'll know that there's probably going to be a fish there. And, um, if they don't know about it in their minds, if they're not thinking of overthinking it, they'll actually get a better drift and better shot at the hole and catch the fish. Um, when the, say when the, the pinks are in, right. Um, where I'm at, we seem to have a pink year every year. Some years have more fish than others, but, um, I know that we can catch fish and I know where those pinks are going to be holding and a lot of the slow little kind of back eggies and some of the slews and stuff. And so I know that when I have a novice angler, 
maybe we're not going to target trout that day, right? Because uh, trout can sometimes be easy. Sometimes they can be really hard, but I know that we can get a novice angler on a pink, um, just casting um, a big, you know, chartreuse or pink fly out there. And there have been times, I remember one specific trip last year, I had a, like a, a kid, he was like in, probably in his mid-teens and then he had his aunt with him. And um, yeah, that kid cannot catch a pink to save his life. He had, <laughs> I bet you it took that kid an hour and a half um, wow. just coaching him through. Like he would get it out there, but he just couldn't get the feel for um, what the bite looked like. And we were even watching these things eat and he could see it eat and set the hook and then just keep intention on the line. And he, he they kept spitting the hook or they get off and, I think we finally got him like a couple of pinks somewhere like a couple hours into this like four hour trip. Um, but it's learning to just be patient and then um, learning new ways to communicate with people. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think this kid had, had any previous experience fly fishing at all. And so having to come up with ways to get him to like, Hey, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep tension on the rod. You gotta keep the line tired. The fish is going to get off or maybe walking them through one big thing I've come, uh, kind of learned the last couple of years is like, all right, we hooked the fish. I used to be like, all right, get that fish in. Let's keep a tight line. and be kind of like all over the place, like really excited. I've kind of come to the point now where it's like everything just like stops. And a lot of times I'll be like, all right, hold on a second. Fish is going to be on there. All right, let's look at, let's think about our hand and I'll break down. All right, you're holding the rod like this. Let's go ahead and really take the line out of your finger. All right. So we're there. Still got tension on the fish. Now we're going to take, a lot of times, you know, they're holding the rod with like two hands. Like, all right, we're going to mm-hmm. hold the rod with one hand and we're going to take our left hand. We're going to grab the reel and we're going to turn away from us. We always want to turn away from us and not backward or towards us because then we're going to be giving that fish mm-hmm. line. So I totally take the whole process and I break it down really simple and I'm just going to go through it really calmly and I'm going to tell them step by step what they need to do, what they need to think and what they need to watch for. And um, I think that just comes with time and just being in that, like having that experience so much that I kind of learned how to break it down to somebody who has never done it before. Yeah. I the panicked response sometimes when you hook a big fish, if you've been stripping in is to just cinch down that finger down to the cork. And then there's mm-hmm. nothing. If that fish goes, there's, you're either going to get line burn or, or it's just going to pop out. So that calm sort of approach and then enjoying that moment also is an important thing is you just get, like this is this is what you wanted. Like this whole thing, and if it just becomes about a rush to get the fish in, then the fish is gone. It's kind of a, oh wait, wait, what happened there? You know, it was just such such a panic. I have to close the loop or whatever, rather than just oh man, I got the fish. Here I am. I'm in Alaska. I'm got this nice rainbow. I can enjoy that. And I think it's if it becomes less about just the numbers of of how big the fish is and how many you get and if you can slow down in those moments, I think that's a, a really cool thing. I've found that with, uh, with hunting too, where, you know, when I got so, or, or I get, I guess I shouldn't be total past tense on this. When I get too caught up in the result, you know, I, I, you get frustrated and rather than look, man, where are we? You know, this is, this is beautiful opportunity. People pay so much money to do this. This is a trip of a lifetime and I get to do this five, six, seven, eight, 10 times a year. So just enjoy all of everything. And then if you get to make a shot, you get to make a shot and even enjoy part of that too. It's going to take what it's going to take. You don't have to rush it coming off the mountain, all that stuff, being aware of all pieces of the experiences is a pretty cool thing to do. And I'm, I'm still learning. 
sometimes get a, get a little ahead of myself, but uh, yeah, that's that's such a, I guess it's maturity, something like that. Yeah, one thing that I I really hate to see is, and it's especially with newer guides. I know hate's kind of a strong word, but it it really is off putting to me is when a, a guide gets on a client for making a mistake or losing a big fish, mm-hmm. or I've seen some guides like yelling at their clients to coach. And I, I totally do not agree with that. I know that in some, you know, it seems to be more not hating on saltwater people or anything, but it tends to be more <laughs> of a saltwater thing, right? Like the, the crusty captain or whatever. But um, even in don't fly fishing, some places that I've, I've been worked at or I've had experience with or can get on to clients. And I, I just, I think that, um, just kind of kills the vibe, kills the mood, you know, it's going to make that client, um, more stressed. They're going to feel bad about it. If they do lose that fish, they're going to, I've seen some clients like just totally just upset at their guide the rest of the day because that client got, or that guy got onto them for really no reason. Like it's not anybody's fault. You know, we're out there, like you said, to enjoy the whole experience and not necessarily get caught up like yeah you might have lost like a 24 inch rainbow that's a two foot long fish that's really awesome but you know you got to play that fish you presented that fly right or that bead right um you did everything right you just the only thing we didn't get to do was touch that fish right like everything else was perfect about it and it just it doesn't you don't have to have a picture with that fish right like mm-hmm. you know that you did everything right to that point. Yeah. I think some of the validation comes with if you are the guide who gets fish on those big fish, you start to think ahead a little bit. But I haven't had a whole bunch of guides, but the guides that I've had have been like good basketball coaches or teachers where like there's there's standards. Like you, you stay in focus because you want to have a good experience. If it's just a, oh, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. You catch zero fish. Like what did I pay for? You know, like I'm, I'm trying to get yeah. you knowledge. So hold me accountable. Tell me what I have to do. But also, mm-hmm. yeah, make it make it kind of a, a good experience. And so... It's a, it's a lot more fun. What do you got for uh, a little closer here? I got to get back down and paint some more uh, baseboard today, but um, where can people find you? What do you got for a closer? Yeah. So um, Keaton and I have just been working on the podcast a lot, um, trying to create more content. We definitely weren't, um, we didn't stay as consistent last year during, especially during the guide season as we wanted to be. Um, So we're just trying to create as much content now as we can. Um, and then have stuff to publish during the guide season when we're not going to um, be available to record mm-hmm. with each other and edit and, and publish podcasts. Um, so, yeah, we're just trying to create as much content as we can there. And my goal this year personally is to have a, a peace of mind published somewhere once a week. Nice. Um, whether that be on our on the podcast website um, or other partners that we have on their website or in print somewhere. So. Awesome. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm going to be spending the next few months. What type of stuff do you want to write? Um, a lot of blogs, um, you know, like how to, you know, uh, one of the ones I just um, sent to uh, Alaska Rodco, <laughs> one of our partners today was on how to um, read water from uh, mm-hmm. my perspective, especially like mid-river drop-offs and how I fish those, um, how I locate those in the river and what I look for. So how-to articles, I'm going to be doing some you know, gear breakdowns, food, planning food for long trips. Um, like my moose hunt tr- last year was, a supposed to be nine day trip turned into a, uh, an eight day trip turned into 11 day trip for me, 15 for the guy I was with. So, um, how you plan for food and how you plan for, you know, sometimes things that, uh, take a little bit longer than you anticipate. Yeah. 
Awesome. Looking forward to that. Uh, thanks again for being on. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, we'll uh, talk to you next time. Yeah, sounds good. Appreciate it, Jeff. See ya.